and the Lord is on your side. The Lord is for you. And I've been, I've been enjoying First Peter. We've been in First Peter for several Sundays here. And uh, I always like to review a little bit before we go to the next chapter, give us a little refreshing. But overall, Peter, Peter was a work in prog- progress, as we know. Um, <clears throat> remember Peter, they always, we kind of pick on him a little bit for, you know, sticking his foot in his mouth, so to speak. But he, he wanted things to happen. And uh, he wanted things to go forward. He was, he was a guy who would, who would always volunteer, you know. Nobody else was stepping out of the boat, remember? When he stepped out of the boat, we've got to give the guy some credit. You know, we pick on him a little bit because, you know, he didn't quite understand. I don't think he really understood except that God, the Holy Spirit, when he said, when Jesus asked him, who do you say that I am? I think I have a monitor a little bit too loud from bluegrass a bit. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he really, uh, I don't know if he truly understood what he was saying, but he was an instrument in God's hands. And sometimes we don't understand everything that's going on. Many times we don't understand all the stuff, the whys and the, and the reasons for, and uh, things happened and uh People get hurt. People get sick. We don't. We don't understand all that. Well, we know we're living. We're living in a fallen world. We're living in a in a, a world that's been cursed because of sin, and so we have to realize we are going to come up against obstacles. We are going to have to fight uh, with the Lord's help. But the Lord, the good news is that the Lord fights for you. That He has all the power and all the military available to you and I as we call upon his name. So Peter, we see his, his heart, and we see someone of a different Peter here in this letter that we've been reading. And we see a Peter that was sort of like a bold, brass guy. We see him under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as we get to the fourth chapter, and this is review at verse 7. He describes to us that we are to be a sober a spirit for the purpose of prayer. And I think Peter had learned the secret that he took things to God, that he had a prayer life, that he had a place that he would go. Someone talked to me about a place they used to go and think things through this morning. You need a place. For me, sometimes it's by my fireplace. I sit and just look and meditate and think and pray. Or it's maybe a favorite uh uh, drive that you take or a, an area where you're at in the house, wherever it may, you need a place that you get alone with God. Well, that's your secret. And he pens these words above all. It's like he's summarizing. If it all comes down to this, it comes down to this one thing above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. We never can go wrong when we choose to love. We choose to love God and we choose to love people. Sometimes loving people hurts because we don't always know if they receive it or they're not ready for it or they're angry or whatever it may be. Sometimes relationship pain is probably the worst things to go through and relational. But it says love covers a multitude of sins. We can let it go because Jesus let it go. We can let it go because Jesus died for their sins as well. We can't forgive. We can't 
take away sins, but love covers a multitude. In other words, love overlooks the faults of other people. And often God, I think, looks down at us since with the mercy of God through Jesus Christ, he overlooks the sin and sees past into the heart of hearts. He sees the person that you're becoming. He sees the person that you're going to be in the future. He sees already that you are robed with a a cloak of righteousness, a, a robe of righteousness already made ready for heaven. Are you ready for heaven? Maybe not yet. Yeah, but you're ready. If he calls you, you're ready. You're ready whenever he, he chooses. But until then, until then, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to believe God. And he went on to mention, often through the letter, he would use the word precious. If you read First Peter, you'll pick up a bit. He, he uses the word precious. He talks about the precious faith. Uh, you're more precious than gold. Your faith, verse 7, chapter 1. He talked about the precious blood of Jesus in chapter, uh, verse 19, but the precious blood of the Lamb in chapter 1. And he uses uh, the word precious. And he also talked about the, the gentle and quiet spirit of a woman and that is precious in chapter 3, precious in the sight of of the Lord. You know where else is used in the Bible in the Psalms? This precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Why is it precious? Because they go to be with him. It's precious understanding that God cherishes people. God cherishes the afterlife, the spirit, the soul person, the person that's going to live forever. And so in helping us uh, figure out what to do in this life, we need a we need a a perspective of heaven. We need a perspective of of living on with Jesus forever and forever. You know, you say, "Well, how old are you?" Well, it's it's okay to keep track of the years, but we're going to live forever anyway, Kelvin. We're going to live forever. Doesn't matter how old we are, right? It just keeps going, and you're you're going to be young. I believe we're going to be young in heaven. We're going to be young, have, our, have our, a wonderful, wonderful future. Let's not lose heart. So he gets down to chapter 5. And he's dealt with a little bit about, he reflects upon the, the sufferings of Christ. It's almost like we can be guaranteed there'll be a certain amount of suffering in this life. But we're not to dwell on that. We're not to dwell or, or, or dread that or, or, you know, be afraid. He doesn't want us to be afraid, but that we turn our suffering, we turn our attention in our suffering onto the Lord. And we begin to think of what Christ himself suffered for you and I so that we could be made whole, that we can have a life eternal. So by now, in chapter 5, he's dealing with a little bit in the first part about the shepherd, the, uh, the pastor, or the person who's called an elder in the church that he mentions here. And first one, therefore exhort the elders. So he's encouraging those that are leaders among you as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. You know, somewhere I read that pastors 
Many pastors are leaving the ministry at an alarming statistic rate because of the high stress and the stress factors. And it's a sad thing, but it's a true. It's what 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 is it? What is it that will bring a leader down when they begin to feel like they are themselves are the problem? They begin to look as themselves and their own strength, and they begin to falter. We as pastors, anyone who's in leadership knows they need the Lord. We cannot ever fool ourselves. We can never get around the secret, the source of our our strength has to be in the Lord. Before I ever read the Bible to get another sermon, I read the Bible for myself. I need the Bible. I need to read the word for Gary. I need to learn and, and have its truths in my heart so that I am walking with Jesus. How am I going to lead other people to Jesus if I'm not walking with Jesus? <laughs> How are people going to know unless I know who he is? is what I'm saying. And so when it comes to this leadership and this role, it's not about compulsion. It's not about something we have to do, but it's something whom God, if God called you to do, that he's equipping you to do, and that he's looking for a person in whom he can flow through, in whom he himself can lead to a person and lead to you and I. And you say, man, not what you can do, but what Christ is going to do through you. You already have been chosen by God. When he saved you, you already have a work you already have a ministry and starts right where you're at, in your home and in your community, in your workplace, in your marketplace. You're never, never without an opportunity. I mean, some of us may say, well, it seems like days go by, nothing's happening, haven't been able to do much. You know what? You keep seeking and trusting the Lord. The one of the ways that Peter mentions here in verse 3 is that, the leader needs to lead not being a dictator, not being one who just gives the commands, but he himself proves to be an example to the flock. And so how many like to learn by example? Show me how that works. So you go through it and you learn uh, by watching. The next step is you learn by trying it yourself. And you then maybe have a question. So you go back to that leader or that mentor and you ask them the question, what about this? How many have found in your life that you learn the most by someone else's inspiration, someone else is encouraging you, and you're following by example? So this is the word of God. The example that was set forth was by Jesus himself. Everyone who has a, has a pastoral ministry or leadership needs, this, needs to understand what would Jesus do. needs to ask this question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do in these circumstances? And to pay attention, I believe the Holy Spirit can help us. Help us to know what to do, what to say, or when to go or when not to go. And so the proverb says, there's a verse in Proverbs that says that there is uh, 
the the shepherd is the one to be is is to understand the condition of his flock. Now he's talking about a shepherd, one who uh, raises uh, animals, and it can be sheep, it can be even cows. Calvin. So when you know your cows are okay, they're fed, they have food, they have a water source, and they have a place to bed down, you're okay. If they're outside of the fence wandering, you have concern, right? But if they're inside the fence, they're content, and they're fed, and they're at peace, they're okay. So it is with the leadership. My instructor, one of my instructors in college says, no one carries the weight of the church like the pastor. And that should be that way because he is the person that is uh, called by God, not that he is the answer, not that he is the one who does it all. That's not what he's talking about, but that he has a concern that he ought to be concerned for his people, that there ought to be a connection with God and through God that there is a connection to the people, that there is a love going on that stands a compassion. A pastor ought to be praying for his people. One of my ministries is, and I feel this, that I need to mention your names, and I do. I call your names before the Lord quite regularly typically on a Saturday evening, and that's typical for me to be praying, calling your names. I'll walk in the church, and I'll call your names out to Jesus. Bless, bless this person. Fill them with peace. Give them strength. That's one way to minister to God and to minister to your people. So the, the, the under-shepherd is to lead by example. He gets to the fourth verse, he says, when the chief shepherd appears. And so in other words, there's one who shepherds, who is the shepherd of all. He's the great shepherd. He's the only one and true shepherd. In fact, there's a whole chapter that described in John that there's a shepherd, the one who's not a hireling, the one who lays down his life for the sheep, the one who knows the sheep by their name, and the sheep know him. And there's a relationship. He's not a hireling. He's not in it for the money. He's in it because God has called him. And he's in it because there is a genuineness and that there's a sincerity. And so, if we look at these passages, we'll say, well, I don't know if that pertains to me. You know what, you, as a person, a child of God, also are given assignments to pray, to love on people, to encourage. And many of you do that. I see you walking and through this fellowship time as we do come back and forth through church. But as it goes into the community, as you're in your workplace and you're sensitive to other people around you, you, in a sense, also have a following. In a sense, you may have a one or two, three families that you are concerned about, you're praying for, that you're believing God for, and that God himself is going to help you to reach them, encourage them. You may not be the one who leads them to Jesus, but you may be the one who waters. You may be the one who encourages. You may be the one that sends a message, that plants a seed. 
and God the Holy Spirit begins to water. And so we get to this halfway through this chapter. It's almost like he switches gears. And he switches almost like into a different subject. And he goes on to the you younger men. I love young people. I love young, young men. And he says, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. And so what I see here is that the elders, that the older folks, the seasoned people, are to be an encouragement to the, to the young people. And the young people ought to be able to look up to the elders and say, you know what? How did you do it when you were in this season? How did you handle this? And we're to be subject to your elders and all of you, clothe yourself. Look at this. He clothes all of us, all the people of, of God. We are to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There is no place for competition in the ministry. Amen? It, what your gain is, is my gain. If God blesses our brothers and sisters across our, our community, then we are also recipients and blessed as well. In fact, we ought to be praying for other leaders and ministries in our community. Wouldn't it be grand when we get to heaven and someone said, thank you for praying for our ministry. Thank you for influencing and encouraging me by what you said and what you did. We're humbling ourselves. It's not about us. It's, about, it's not about our name. It's not about who can have the biggest church. It's not about who can, you know, send, send the most money. It's about humility and what God had called you and I to do personally, what God has called you and I to do as a church. And so he leads right on into this same, this same verb, humility, and humble yourselves, verse 6, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Now we get to verse 7, casting all your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. And right there, it's like we switched into a different uh, dimension. We've been talking about leadership. We've been talking about the ministry. But the ministers need humility. And the ministry it's still, it's, itself needs humility. If we're going to reach people, it's going to be through humility and genuineness. That we're not just concerned about people coming to church. We're concerned about their souls and where they're going to spend eternity. If we was focus on, on being healthy, being healthy with the Lord, walking with God, doing what he's called us to do, being what he's called us to be, I'm convinced that he will give to us more people and whom we can care for. And so as we look at this, number one, I'm going to switch into sort of the, the, the kind of the, the final part of this chapter and focus the most upon it, because I believe that this really applies to us. At many times, what discourages us is at times where we are feeling uh, afraid or we are fear we're fearing for the future or we begin to feel like anxiety this is coming on the whole weight of the world begins to press and you have those days how many have had one lately you know you had a day or two you had a moment and what did you do 
What, it, what is your routine? How do you handle stress? One of the greatest ways is to look to the Lord. He says, humble yourselves. The Lord says, I will take care of the birds. They don't store up. They don't, they just, just go out there and find stuff that's already there. It doesn't do any good to worry, but we still, we still worry, don't we? It doesn't do any good to feel weighted down, but many times I think if we're, if, we're, if we're honest, we feel weighted down. But many times we begin to, if you're like me, I begin to think, well, what, what is it that I need to do? And then I begin to think, oh, I can't, I can't do that. I don't know how I can do anymore. And you see, we begin to feel anxiety. You begin to feel. And then you throw a few extra years in there. Time passes. I'm getting, I'm getting there. And you start to feel, well, I don't have the strength like I used to. But the problem with this is that we begin to rely on our own strength. And that's where we get, begin to begin to shrink back and begin to find ourselves. We're getting more anxious because we don't feel we have the strength. And the truth of the matter, we don't have the strength. But who knows the verse that says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we must even more rely upon Jesus. Wouldn't it be something if we come to that moment and we say, you know, I, I admit, Lord, I can't do nothing. Well, the Lord is just waiting for us to say that. I can't do this. Well, you know what? That's a good thing. You just confess what you needed to confess. Because now I'm going to move in and be what I, be what, do what I can do. Do what I only I can do. God can only change the hearts of persons and people. I cannot get caught up in carrying the weight of sin of other people. I must roll that on to the Lord. You cannot carry the weight of your family that are distant from the Lord. You cannot take, you can in a way, but you cannot be the Lord. You cannot like God himself. You must turn over your, even your love, your most loved people. You must surrender them to God because there comes a moment in life when our children grow up and they make their own decisions and we sit back and say, oh boy, Lord. Oh, my. Oh, my. Help them, Jesus. Help them. Don't, oh, don't let them get into that. And you know, we just, we, we've been there. We know ourselves that, that we don't want them to go through that pain. And we go, I heard one of the best comments. When we, as parents, we go from caring for to caring about. They move up, they, they grow up, they move out. They're out of your house. You say, Lord, help them. You, we, they know the way. They know what's right and wrong. And now we begin games on. What happens when they stumble? Well, what happens when you stumble? When you go back to the Lord, he forgives us. And he sets us up. He raises us up. One of the greatest verses in Psalms. Blessed is the one who's the Lord has his hand. When he falls, he's not hurled headlong. He doesn't kick you out of the kingdom. He's there to pull you back up and set you on a righteous path. I'm convinced that many of the anxieties that I carry are not necessary. I'm convinced that many of the worries that I worry are really not necessary. God himself said, I will do it. I will be who will go my when you. It never ends, and that's a good thing. 
And then you get grandkids, and we don't have any grandkids yet. But I hear that's a good thing. And so we just keep, this cycle keeps on going. But what is God's heart? God's heart is for the people, his people, to walk in humility. He doesn't want us to point the finger. He doesn't want us to say, well, I told you so. I mean, we may have told them so. But he's, he wants us to put ourselves in their shoes. What would we do? If they're struggling, if you have a person in your family who's struggling, our job is to encourage, to love unconditionally. Love covers multitude of sin. When it comes to the church, we have people that will come if they come not looking like us, not acting like us. We have to and should love past the looks, the actions. Are we willing? Are we willing to say, oh, they can have, they can be more like Jesus. Can I be more like Jesus? Am I willing to say, you know what? They they may not be my comfort people, but I'm going to love them. I'm going to see the soul. I'm going to see that the potential is there. You see, you know what? The enemy would love to get us to be happy just the way things are. The enemy loves it when we're satisfied or just with us. What's in it for me? And so often, churches and people have just come for what's in it for them. But the church is to be a place where we can say, what is it the Lord wants me to do? What is it the Lord wants me to give? What can I do to help? What can I do to encourage? It always starts with humility. And so secondly, there needs to be a hope. There needs to be a hope beyond the suffering. There needs to be a hope when sometimes it seems like forever between paychecks. There needs to be a hope when sometimes there is a bad report and the doctors are concerned. There needs to be a hope when people are taken out of our lives unexpectedly. There needs to be a hope. What is the hope? The hope is that Jesus Christ lives and he is a resurrection. He is the healer. He is the provider. He is the one who rebukes the devourer. He is the one who restores. He is the one who rekindles. He is the one who heals all brokenness. In fact, he is closer to the brokenhearted. He says he's near to the brokenhearted. If we're brokenhearted from time to time, it may be some of the best times that you seek and sense God's nearness. His presence. I remember one of my brothers who prayed for his daughters for they were wayward. I remember one of my brothers saying he would weep on the way to work. And he said he would pray in Jesus' name. And he would pray that God would reach his, his daughters. And he said it was some of the most precious times he ever remembers. You never know what God uses. You see, God is able to work all things together for good. And said, I believe when a a person is praying, if someone is in need, if there's a person praying somewhere, there's hope. Because there's a God in heaven who hears all our cries. 
And if there's a person in trouble, at the last breath they can cry out. We can have hope in someone who's snatched away, and we don't know for sure where they were. We begin to ask the question, are they get, uh, did they get in? Were they saved? And we can have hope because if they knew the way they cried out, they could have cried out. It's a good thing. Hope sometimes is, is as the scripture says in Proverbs, is deferred. And it makes us sick. Hope deferred. In other words, you had your hopes. You had your dreams. You had this, your mind set on what life would be by now. And all of a sudden, things went different directions. And all of a sudden, you begin to question, why? Or you begin to ask the Lord, am I doing something wrong? Well, let me share with you that there is a God in heaven who works through our pain. He works. He has ministered. In fact, of the matter, many people that suffered have made mo- the most impact on people's entire communities, empi- entire families. I remember this so vividly when my oldest brother, Kermit, was um, was distraught. He was his first wife passed away. On a, we knew that she had a severe diabetic um, thing going on. She was like forty years old, and she, the doctor said she will not live to twenty. But she determined she lived well. Um, she lived with all all that she had. Uh, they had two daughters that they adopted, Judy. And I was going to Bible school. I was just starting out in ministry and beginning to, and to learn. And I had some uh, moments uh, to spend with my brother after that Christmas. I mean, Judy passed away unexpectedly. The next several weeks was a tough time for Kermit, right during the holidays. And I could tell my brother was hurting. And, and I, I said, here's me, little brother. Kermit, would you like to... You know, talk about it. What I wanted to do was pray for him. And the moment we we hit my bedroom, and he just got on his knees. And so I followed. I was on the other side. And we just we just started both crying, just like it was was it meant to be. He just poured his heart out. He just wept, and over and over and again, we just I, I sense that God was was being there for him. That, that took. Boy, and Kermit, he's a big brother. He don't cry. He don't show his emotions. That took humility. That took something. And, and he has a tender heart. And wow, ever since then, our relationship was like turned night and day. I used to never knew what to say to him. You know, he was always off, way beyond me. And he's a little gruff, you know. He was that big brother. He was in charge. Well, that was something. I'll never forget that. One thing that was very precious. Kermit found in his wife's Bible. She had underlined the verses that are found in 2 Corinthians 4. And it talks about though our outer man is decaying, the things which are seen are temporal. 
Though our outer man is decaying, our inner man is being renewed day by day. And that was the secret of her life. She knew that she was not going to live a long life. But she lived well. I read this sign somewhere. It's not about how long you live. It's how well you live while you're living. It's having a life. Living life with all that you have. When you have opportunity to encourage someone around you, let's be engaged. Let's be an encouragement to one another. You see, it's bad enough because we have this enemy. It's mentioned in verse 8 that he is like a roaring lion. In other words, this enemy, Satan, is very angry. In fact, he's so angry that he wants to destroy everybody in his path. Because he knows his days are numbered. Because he knows that he's going to be bound and thrown into the lake of fire. And he's going to be there forever and ever. And because he rebelled, and because he wants to bring others down with him, we've got to understand we have the power in Jesus' name to resist him. So in verse 9, he said, resist him. Resist, resist him firm in your faith. What are we resisting? How do we resist? We must, James says, humble yourself. Humble yourself. We cannot fight the devil in our own strength. We can to a degree. And he knows your, he knows your weaknesses. And he knows how to trip your trigger, so to speak. He knows how to push your buttons. He knows what brings you down, and so we must stay up. We must stay alert. We must be sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. The greatest weapon that you have is the sword of the spirit through the word of God, and you have all the armor through Jesus, so when the enemy comes around, we can resist him, and we can, you know what? You know how he wants to attack us? And lies. Lies. Get us to believe there's no hope. There's no hope. That there's no future. But we have news. Our God is a God of the future. Our God has a plan for us. In chapter 1, we skip back just for a moment. Our God has declared to us that in verse 3, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. When you accept Jesus, your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Already goes to work to prepare a place for you and I. Heaven is expecting you. Heaven is expecting you and making a place. Jesus is looking for you and expecting you. What a way to live. What a way to live. This is life. This is the life of faith. This is the life 
that we can have because of Jesus. This is the this is the hope we can have because of the resurrection. This is the hope we can have though we may suffer at verse 10, last chapter now, verse Peter. After you have suffered for a little while. Underline it, little while. Well, it may not seem like a little while right now. Listen, for eternity it is a little while. A little while the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself perfect, perfect. You're not perfect yet. Anyone? No, I'm not. You're not perfect. You're, you're, you're forgiven. And you're on process. You're in process. I don't see any way in the Bible that we arrive in this life here. You're, you're in a work. God is not going to leave you or forsake you. Listen. He himself will perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. That's the letter. That's a letter. And when you read scripture, I encourage you. If First Peter can be read fairly, fairly easily if you're average reader. Just read right through it. Read right through it. And then maybe if you want to go back and just pull out and meditate, that's a good way to get that word working in you. Get that word uh, lodged. And I'm thinking, you know, First Peter was good. Let's let's keep going. There's Second Peter. There's Second Peter, and let's just stay with this for a while. And I'm just looking forward. This life, this life, is the best life in Jesus. The li- the greatest way to live is with faith, the faith life, the faith in God, the faith in one day we will meet Him. He himself will explain to us, I believe, we're on the right road with Jesus.